folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted to be joined by Jamie Smart today. Jamie is goes back way back with myself. He was a, a coach, a friend, and he did a three-day intensive coaching session with me where we went into some of the practices that he will talk about today, but some simple key things that helped me to fall out of my own thinking, um, to really think about what is important in my life. But he unfroze a lot of my thinking in the way he talks about things. And it's fascinating to hear today that when people talk about flow, that he was in a flow with me as a client at that time, but actually some of the principles come to him in that moment and uh, think about it in a different way. So you'll hear a bit of that today. You'll hear some of the stories that he tells that have been powerful for me. He's an author of a book called Clarity. He's also got the little book of Clarity, and he's got a book called Results. So he's well worth a listen to. Enjoy this as much as I do just talking to the man. So Jamie Smart. Jamie, I'm delighted you could be on with us today. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here, Colin. And I'm, I'm really excited about your book, too. It's a really great accomplishment. I think we were actually talking about it when, you know, we were starting to work together. It's, I think it was in my mind uh, at the time. So it's great for you to be here. I'd love everybody to, to hear a bit about you, though, because you've got a, a fascinating background um, and a journey that you're still on. But maybe just give them a potted history of you just so we know who you are. Yeah. Sure. Well, so um, my my background professionally, uh, I grew up in Canada, which is where I get, got this accent. I, I moved to the UK when I was 20 and got into the world of publishing and uh, into the world of IT. So I was, you know, a computer operator and then became a programmer and then became a, a project manager, then a program manager. And I was running these large software and organizational change programs. But I was, I found it extremely stressful. I, and I had that kind of sense of, I'd found myself in that work, but it wasn't like what I was passionate about. And I had this idea that there was something I was here to do, but I had no idea what it was. So I was kind of looking around, but didn't know. Anyway, I went on a a training course uh, to learn communication skills and influence skills and that sort of thing. And, And I went on this course And I watched the trainer at the front of the room, you know, basically doing his thing and coaching people and telling stories. And I was like, I want to do that. Now, this was a surprise to me because I was terrified of public speaking. So it's very surprising to me that something that's so involved public speaking would be my future. But I was like, okay, well, I I had always said if I knew what it was, I would do it. So I'm like, okay, it's 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 go for it time. So I, I I. quit my job, took a contract to fund that kind of career transition. And I became a trainer and a coach and a speaker, uh, which I'm doing to this day. But the interesting thing is I, I built up a uh, a company uh, selling educational products online. So this was like between 2003 and uh, 2009. And it was very successful. I had the business running pretty much on autopilot. I had a team in place and I, I was on a, a, a what I called a mini retirement in uh, Whistler in Canada, like a three mini retirement. I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thank, uh, thanks to Tim Ferriss for that idea. Yeah. So I, I was off in Canada on a three month ski vacation mm-hmm. and 
as far as I was concerned, this was going to be like a crowning achievement. I was going to finally be successful. I was going to, I, I had won according to the rules of my industry because there I was, you know, making, making money from a, a, a passive income business while I skied and that sort of thing. But within six weeks, I was feeling miserable and off purpose and, and like something was missing and I couldn't figure it out. So I went back to the drawing board. I hired a coach and during that process, I realized that all my goals and objectives had been predicated on the idea of basically that you could summarize as I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I've got this much money or the business working this way, or I've reached this many people. Or, and it was the idea that happiness, well-being, security, fulfillment, uh, were something kind of external and distant goals to be achieved. And what I discovered was it doesn't work that way. And in in the course of that year, actually, 2009, I was introduced to the principles that I've shared with you and that we're going to be discussing here today. And I had three insights. The first, the first insight I had was like, oh, everything you've been looking at for outside of yourself is already there within you. It's innate. You were born with it. So that was the first insight. And I'd I'd read that and I'd heard that in various teachings, but I'd never known it. And suddenly I knew it. So that kind of reorganized my goals and objectives and stuff. Second insight I had was, oh, the fact that a person can even see or hear or feel means they have this innate capacity for clarity, resilience, and well-being, transformation already there within them. And that immediately changed the way I worked with clients and had a huge impact. It made me so much more hopeful for the people I was working with. But then the third insight I had was, oh, this is principles to psychology. You know, psychology uh, has been a pre-principles field, sort of like, you know, chemistry before Lavoisier or physics before Newton. I realized, oh, these are principles for psychology. And as soon as I saw that, I, you know, I called up my office. I said, we're leaving the business we've been in. There's a new direction for us. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, I wrote my first book, Clarity. Uh, it came out in 2013. Uh, my book, Results, became a Sunday best, Times bestseller in 2016. I love sharing this understanding with people. And uh, it, it's it's continually... One of the things I love about this work, and again, we're going to be exploring it, is that it's a continual source of fresh, new insight and thinking and perspective into life and the world. It's the, it's the first thing I've ever come across where there's kind of always more. And I always have a vision of you, Jamie, sat on a high stool at the front of the audience holding court. But I also have a visual of you with your hands held and, 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 and I'm feeling it again now, and we haven't spoken for a, a bit of time. I'm feeling it now that you just can't help but relax into a conversation with yourself. But those are the principles that you're bringing to life, aren't you, in terms of how you're holding yourself and how you bring it. So let's dig into the principles because everybody's sitting there going, wow, okay, this sounds amazing. I want some of this. But they're thinking, so how the hell do I get it? A bit like I was when I worked with you for three days. I'm thinking, how do I not master this, but how do I take this into my life? So talk us through. 
Well, so, and, and when I talk about the principles, the, the principles are basically just a way of describing an innate capacity that we all have for peace of mind, for well-being, for uh, 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 love and connection, for, for fresh new ideas. And, it, and it's funny, Colin, a question I'll, always, I'll often ask, I've asked literally thousands of people, business leaders, audiences of coaches and trainers, audi- you know, uh, members of the public, I ask, when do you get your best ideas? And almost invariably, the answers are when I'm taking a shower, when I'm out for a run, when I'm at the gym, when I'm walking in the woods, when I'm uh, first waking up in the morning, when I'm just drifting off to sleep at night, when I'm, uh, you know, in the bath, when I'm walking in nature. We instinctively know that we get our best ideas when we're, when we're not thinking about the things that have been preoccupying us. And that, that right there points to an, in, an innate capacity for insight and realization. And, and that's a capacity we were all born with. Like, if you stop and think about it for a moment, we weren't born knowing how to talk, knowing how to walk. We were, we were born into a world where everything was unknown and brand new. And yet in the first, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years of life, we learned so much. We built these really, really useful and accurate models of reality that allowed us to operate in, you know, gravity. Well, you're not running around, you know, uh, allowed us to communicate with others that allowed us to do all kinds of things under embodied understandings that we use to this day, right? Well, every single one of those embodied understandings arrived through insight and realization, through that innate capacity for insight and realization that we all have going for us right all the time, all the time. And, and so, and it seems to me that that capacity for insight is, is one of those kind of under-recognized superpowers that we all have. You know, I, I know that uh, one of the uh, organizations you uh, reference in the book and that we've spoken about in the past is it, IDEO um, and their work on, you know, design thinking and new ideas. At the heart of that is insight, is this capacity for fresh new understanding. And it, it's funny, you know, I, I was... Uh, uh, speaking to an international organization yesterday about uh, a, a conference I'm going to be speaking at with them. And the focus of the conference is on strategy. And part of their strategy, uh, st- part of their strategic process is, you know, reviewing plans and documents and uh, data, data. And I said, look, there's, there's two parts to strategy. The strategy equation, if you like, is strategy equals data plus insight. Gotta have that insight piece. And, you know, it's it's why there's uh, so few Ubers, Amazons, uh, Airbnbs. It's because the insight piece is the bit that gives us the fresh and new. So I think think that's a really, it's it's a a relatively easy starting point for this understanding, just to kind of look at that and go, okay, there is something innate within each one of us that we can rely on to give us fresh new ideas. And and for everyone listening, I would imagine if, if I were to ask, you know, 
Can you think of a time when you had something you were really struggling with and then you went to sleep on it and you woke up in the, the next morning, you just knew what to do or it just didn't look like a problem anymore. That's pointing to an innate capacity that we all have. Fascinating. So two things are going through my mind. One is the concept that we talked about at the time about the, the river and the flow. And I, I loved your analogy with when you're a child, your self-correcting system allows you to be crying or uh, be angry at almost within split seconds of each other. And you use the analogy of a river flowing, which I still have, and how we, over life, we start to freeze that river up. Talk to me or talk people through, because I'm a big believer in analogies to get people. And you've got another one, the teddy bear, which we'll come to. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing, Colin. That analogy that I used at the time with you, that occurred to me in the moment. So that came from that same capacity for insight. I literally don't remember it. So why don't you talk? Us <laughs> because I literally, I used it once real time right. with you and I've never used it again. Can I admit that I've been using it consistently since? No, I'm <laughs> delighted. That's that's great. It's it to me. It's one of the cool things that that came where that analogy came from. You mm-hmm. know, we were having that conversation, and we were in a deep space of connection. And when I'm working with a client, Colin, I'm looking to find my way into that deep connection with them. But I'm also wanting to model for my client looking in the direction of the unknown right because because when i when i if if you if you think about it when when someone's either got a problem they're trying to solve or a goal they're trying to achieve and they can't find the way forward or anything like that the stuff that's getting in their way is all the stuff they know they're like i know this and i know that and i know that and my assertion is the answer the thing that's going to resolve it is going to come from what you don't yet no. So I want to model looking in the direction of what I don't yet know. And so that insight about the river and the icing up and that, that came to me in the moment from what I didn't yet know. And I said it to you, it had an impact. And then I forgot about it like a minute later. <laughs> like that, that, was, that was for today only. But, but it had such an impact on you that yeah. it's continued to kind of feed your experience. So I, I'd love to hear it. So, and then in some ways, it's a description of this. So, the your analogy at the time for me was that we, as a child, are, are uh, have a picture in your mind about the Colorado River flowing through and carving with great power open swathes of land and cutting into rock. And then, as we gradually grow older, we layer on insecurities, other things that come into our mind, and we freeze our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, eventually. You can imagine the Colorado frozen. I don't think it ever would, but frozen river with a trickle of pure thought going underneath it. And then you started to get me to say, so how do you unfreeze your thinking? How do you fall out of your thinking to allow that river to flow? And I use the word flow in the introduction for me is that if I don't feel that I am the Colorado river cutting through rock. And, and again, you, you, you said it there, which is, to find the path that is the right path. And it's not a case of you know, squeezing hard with your, your fists and thinking hard and squeezing your brain. It's that bit about falling out and thinking to find the path that's right for you. And I've, I've used that analogy on myself, but it's amazing how I've used that uh, for coaches. And I call it almost the Forrest Gump moment where you've, I was working with, and Andy Slee has been on this podcast and we've been working together for about, I think, about two and a half, three years. 
and I'd been coaching him and I'd been using those principles with him. And it, it came to that moment. He said in the podcast, where we sat at the final coaching session of a three hour coaching session, hour and a half in, and he just went, I get it. And the reason I caught with Forrest Gump is when Forrest Gump stops running and he goes, I'm going home and everybody's going, so what's the significant insight? He says, yeah, I've just had enough of running. I'm going home. And, but that principle came so clear for Andy. He doesn't need that now. Yeah. He's got it. So that's the analogy I have in my mind. Yeah. I, I really like it. And you know, that thing of, I'm going to stop running. I'm going home. Mm. One of the, and, th and this may sound kind of, kind of wild to people. What, what I want to suggest is that we're already home. Like mm. we're, we're, we're often searching for something that we've already got. And the, and the, and the shift is once you realize that, then, then you're free to do whatever makes sense to you. And what makes sense to you might be to go on holiday or what makes sense to you might be to build a multi-million pound business or what makes sense to you might be to start a charity or whatever it might be. But it, the tone of it, the, the flavor of it changes radically once we realize we're, it's not like we're missing anything or lacking anything, that we already have what we've been looking for. Yeah, and I, I, I love that analogy because the experimentation piece is big for me. And it's this, it's, this is bit where people say it's restless. So there's a negative connotation for some people, which is restless. So you don't know what you're going to get with Colin is a, an expression I hear. And, and people in my business will go, you'll go away, I'll have a chat with somebody, and will come back and suddenly we're off and doing something different. But there is this piece about being restless, experimentation, but with clarity and falling out your thinking allows you to be deeply, as you talked about IDEO, you talk about deeply insightful with clients in that space of restless is a powerful place where you're comfortable just holding a space with them um, and do that. Talk to me about the, the, the piece, which I, I love, because a lot of people can't go there because they're holding on to something and use the analogy of teddy bear with it and i don't know if, it, if if it's the right point to bring it in but i still hold on to my teddy bear moment uh, with you where i suddenly realize yeah that's a teddy bear that's a teddy bear that's a teddy bear yeah it's so interesting so so it, you know little children we we give them you know a teddy bear or a, a blanket or a pillow or whatever it might be that's a, a kind of often referred to as a transitional object when they're growing up and and the child holding the teddy bear, they feel a sense of comfort and peace and security from that teddy bear. And if you accidentally like leave it in a hotel when you're on holiday and come home without it, the kid freaks out because they haven't got their telly. And they, they feel like the source of their security and well-being is somehow being taken away. Uh, but, but as adults, we, we can see that 100% of that experience of security and well-being comes from within the child it comes from their you know uh, psychological uh, and physical properties so the the teddy bear uh, aside from having you know a, a fluffy coat is yeah. is it's neutral it's neutral you could you could literally give the baby um, a Osama bin Laden doll or a Saddam Hussein doll or, or whatever you like and it would have the same effect because the it's coming from within the child but how many of us as adults think it's somehow different when it comes to the teddy bear of money or partner or job or physical health 
or any of the other things that we sometimes chase after. It genuinely seems to us like our feelings of security, peace, comfort, well-being, belonging are coming from those adult teddy bears of money, job, accomplishment, praise, validation, all those teddy bears, you know, the teddy bears that we long for or the teddy bears we don't think we could do without. And there's a way in which often as we go through life, it's almost like life and our psychology conspires to show us that we don't need them. I saw a a video by Ray Dalio. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know, most successful hedge fund manager in history, managing, you know, billions and millions of dollars. Dalio said in in his career, he's ended up working with a lot of people who have uh, gone bankrupt. And he said, what happened? uh, And often very, very uh, financially successful people who have then taken a wrong turn and gone bankrupt. And he says, what happens at first is that it's like it's the end of the world. It's disastrous and they're very frightened. It's like, he said, and then usually within a relatively short period of time, a, a matter of months, they connect with life. And they connect with what's genuinely important to them. They, and he said, ever so often, what gets awakened is love, health, uh, appreciation for the things that genuinely matter to them and all that sort of stuff. Having let go of those teddy bears. Well, that looks to me like the hard way of doing it. The easy way of doing it <laughs> is to recognize that they're teddy bears in the first place. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather realize that they're teddy bears than have life, you know, kind of pounded into me that they're teddy bears. <laughs> it's sort of like life's going, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. And it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll go for the easy way where possible, please. Thank you very much. Yeah, as a Scottish Presbyterian who, you know, has been brought up to believe that you've got to experience bad times to have good times. You know, I'd rather just learn how to have the good times and flow with it. So, yeah. And it's the sound of that. And it's interesting because, you know, when we talk about bankruptcy, I've coached quite a few people whose parents have been bankrupt. And as children, they've been impacted by it. And they still hold on to that. I've seen the pain it caused. And therefore... I, I don't take risks because of it. And some of these people want to start their own business. And they go, oh, well, I, I can't because I remember this pain. So there's a transference of something there, which as a leader, I want to come to the leadership piece, is massive because that risk-taking, you know, risk being wrong in the principles of the book, how do you as a leader fall out of your thinking and create flow to allow other people not to be or impacted by our beliefs and our histories as well. Well, it's such it's such a good question. You know, there's an article that was published in the Harvard Business Review called "How Your State of Mind Affects Your Performance." Um, what these researchers did, they interviewed over 700 leaders as in senior executive roles across the world. And they gave them a simple list of states of mind, and they got them to track which states of mind drove high performance and which states of mind drove poor performance. And the states of mind that drove high performance were calm, happy, energized, those three states of mind. And the states of mind that drove poor performance were frustrated, angry, tired, stressed. And what they found was that in both cases, if the leader was in a calm or happy or energized state of mind, that was picked up by their team. 
it was like it radiated. And if if the leader was frustrated, angry, tired, stressed, that was picked up by their team. And so it wasn't just the leader's performance that suffered. It was the whole team's performance that suffered. And it was the whole team's performance that benefited when they were in that more calm, happy, energized state. So what I call it is the impact elevator. When I'm speaking to executives, I just show them this list and I say, where are you spending your time at the moment? Because that's going to be having a direct influence on uh, your team and the results you're getting. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, but a what may seem like a trivial shift in state of mind can have an out-of-proportion impact on results. And so, so I think the first step with that for anyone is to recognize its importance. Because if someone looks at that and goes, oh, I don't have time for that hippie nonsense, da, 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 well, then, then it's going to be hard to benefit from it. But if you're like, you know what? They're onto something then that that gives us a doorway to go okay let's let's focus on this let's see what happens when you're spending 10% more of your time in calm happy energized 20 30 40 50% of your time in calm happy energized what's the impact of that on your organization and your results so i i don't know if that speaks to your question but oh, it does yeah, I mean, for me, it's about the curious and playful. So even if, you know, the hippie nonsense, and, and as a person who probably 10 years ago, if you'd said I was going to be doing headspace meditation, or I was talking about falling out, you think, whatever it is, I would have gone rare, rubbish. You know, I was a driven achiever in your language. I was a driven achiever at that time. So there is that experimentation about being curious, having a go, and seeing. And I, I always put it back to the experiment I did for my 360. I used to do a 360 every year. Um, and I tried, I thought one year, I'm just going to be starting to talk around saying I'm a control freak. I'm a control freak. I'm a control freak. And that's all I put out into the world was I'm a control freak. And you made a bit of fun of it saying, and if you take the control out of the control freak, all you've got is the freak. Mm-hmm. 360 feedback all the time. It came back. Everybody said control, 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 control freak was the message. So the next year I tried to put something positive out there about it, whether I believed it or not, just putting it positive. And again, it came back. So there's something in here about uh, being aware of your downtime and some of the almost leadership is language from Marquette, what you put out in your language, your body language and your demeanor that has a massive impact, you say. Yeah. Well, I, I would say so. And I'm what I'm going to suggest is that the, the feeling you're in, the state of mind you're in, will automatically influence your body language, your verbal language, the the uh, subtle and not so subtle messages that people pick up from you. So there, there are basically uh, two, two kind of approaches to it. One is the outside-in approach. And the outside-in approach is, okay, you, you learn powerful body language and you learn how to use the words that are you know, going to have the most, and you do your best to be positive all the time. That can have some effect, but it, it takes a lot of energy. And this is how I put it in my first book, Clarity. It's like, I ask people, uh, have you ever pretended to have a cold? like to call in sick to work or something. Have you ever pre- pretended to have a cold? It's like every, everyone, almost everyone's pretended to have a cold at some Absolutely. point. And the thing with pretending to have a cold is it's hard work and it's not very convincing. But if you actually catch a cold, man, the symptoms emerge effortlessly. It takes no effort at all. <laughs> well, well, to me, it's the same with a positive mindset. 
Yeah. And it's the same with leadership. You know, trying to do the the movements and sounds of leadership is hard work and it's not that convincing. But if you catch the mindset, it's effortless and it communicates very, very credibly because you've, you're actually being real. You know, the key, as I see it, to authentic leadership is just being yourself. Mm. And so many of us have been taught that we need to be someone else, that, mm. that who we are isn't enough, that we're too weird or our ideas are too off the wall or that we're not quite enough or that sort of thing. And, and my message to everyone is actually that the most valuable thing you can discover is who you really are and then and then share that with the world. Because there's a, there, you know, you, you said it as curious and playful. Well, those are, to me, curious and playful are authentic aspects of, of who you are and what you're like. And when you allow that out into the world, that has its own intelligence. There's, there's an intelligence that's there. And, and everyone's got their own flavor of who they really are. And when we, when we allow that into the world, there's an intelligence there that, that guides us and that, the way I see it, Colin, is that your authentic way of being has its own intelligence and its own reasons for existing. And when we let that out, it uh, it takes us places that we may never have imagined. You know, I would never have imagined that I'd be a best-selling author, that I'd be going and speaking at conferences around the world, I, uh, that I'd be teaching something that's so gratifying and that's having such an impact in people's lives. 20, 30 years ago, if you'd have told me that, I'd be like, what are you on? I, 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 I would never have imagined it. But just by tapping into that authentic sense of direction and desire and waking up to, you know, who we really are, all of that has emerged. And who knows what else, you know, who knows what else is in the post for you and for me as we follow that authentic path. And it's interesting because we could go on talking and talking and talking. And I feel like I'm getting my my therapy for the day. When I, and I do this every time I talk to you, I get that sense. I, I wanted to pick up on the authenticity because this is one of these words that a lot of leaders out there go, oh, authentic. You know, everybody says to be authentic, but I can't be my authentic self. But there's a piece about the definition of authenticity, and I think it's Herminia Abara at London Business School said this, that authenticity is about a journey of growth. And I think what you're saying, so I want to just clarify, as you are authentic and you let it flow and you're curious and you play, then even your authentic self just finds its own path. It cuts its own path into the world. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I absolutely am saying that. And, and what I'm going to suggest is that your your authentic self has been there from, you know, the moment you were born. Mm. And so this is about that cutting of the path is about that authentic self finding greater expression in the world. And, and you know, the, the nature of society is that society exerts a pressure on us to conform and which is important and the authentic self exerts a pressure to express who we really are and to be ourselves and that sort of thing so there's a dynamic tension there between the two when i work with people uh, in all kinds of different walks of life but particularly in the business world actually it's almost like the pressure to conform has got a little it's, that muscle has got a little too strong and the authentic self needs a little bit more coaxing to come out. I'll never forget it. I was working with a CMO in a, a blue chip company and 
the amount of insecurity that this chap had about what his fellow directors would think if he did very basic things to how he organized his office and that sort of thing. And I'm like, man, there's some growing up to do there. Yeah. So and it's interesting you use that because it's a growing up, but actually it's going back to what he was initially that will allow him to be successful. So well, yeah. and, and, and the the growing up is about courage, having yeah. the courage to be yourself mm. in a world where we're being told that we really should be like everyone else. Mm. It, it takes courage to to be ourselves. So I want to just, I, I always remember the video that we were first together and I, I saw you on Sky News and you were, you were talking about Daniel Sturridge, I believe, scoring his first hat-trick for, for Liverpool, if I remember rightly, and you, you're doing that. And, and for a lot of people, wow, appeared in Sky News talking about his book. But, but for you, that's not your pinnacle. That's not how you measure your success. How do you measure your own success? I'll, I'll give you two answers. The first answer is to let you know what mission I'm on. Mm. Uh, because what I realized back in 2009, when I saw, oh, these are principles for psychology. What I saw was that for the rest of my life, I was going to be sharing this understanding with people because it's what the world needs. You know, we're, our, our technology has come on by leaps and bounds where we have the most incredible technical power available to us at the moment. But we're still using the same habits of thinking and social structures that we were using in the Middle Ages. You know, if we look at the amount of tribalism there is on, you know, that's been spawned by Facebook and social media and so on, that's running on software that's, that they were using 500 years ago, right? That, yeah. that, you know, fear of the other and all that sort of thing. So at a time when we have this unprecedented techn technological power, we need an upgrade in our wisdom. We need an upgrade in our understanding of our mind and how it works. So it looks to me really, really important. So my, my mission is to awaken people to the truth of this understanding and to, and to show them how to share it with others. So I love hearing about the people you're coaching to see it for themselves because there's this incredible ripple effect. You know, Colin, my vision is of me being out of a job because everyone already knows this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, smart. We know. We, we got the memo. Yeah. Um, and the evidence for that is like the first generation of children born to people who already know this stuff, just like you and me were born to people who already knew about the fact of germs. I see a, a generation of children born to people who already know the fact of who they really are and where experience comes from. But it turns out those kids are already being born. So I speak to parents every day whose children are growing up in a home that has this feeling in it. So that connects to how I measure success. My, my mission is to awaken people to the truth of this and show them how to do the same for others. How I'm measuring success is through the, the feeling I'm living in, like uh, the, the experience that we had in our three-day coaching intensive, the feeling of that. I'm wanting to bring that into every aspect of my life. And I, I'm very grateful, you know, that I get to have that sense of well-being and peace and clarity and flow in my coaching and in my teaching and in my relationship with my girlfriend and that sort of and with my daughters and so on. I'm wanting to bring it into every aspect of my life. And there are still aspects where there are teddy bears getting in the way, right? Aspects yeah. of business. Oh my God, do I have to deal with this again? And that's <laughs> so so for me. I mean, I have lots of the other kind of measures of kind of how's it going that you might think, whether it's 
I don't know, bank balance or uh, reach or that sort of thing. So I use some of those markers as well. But actually, the, a buddy of mine, Chip Chipman, once said, and it stopped me in my tracks, he said, the feeling you're living in is all you get. The feeling you're living in is all you get. And not all you're going to get is literally all you get. And, and part of how I've repurposed that statement is the feeling you're doing business in is all you get. Ultimately, you know, two years ago or, you know, December 2019, we had all our plans for what 2020 was going to look like, but we got what we got. And ultimately, the the experience of life that you're living in and doing business in and working in and connecting with your family, and that's what you get. So that's how I measure success today, except when I don't. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's this, it's this humility piece and uh, transparency piece that it's not easy to do this. And, it, and occasionally it comes back into your, your life. I was on the a call this morning, so I wasn't supposed to be on our team call, but I popped in. And then when I went on, they were all having this fantastic chat, engaging social rapport. I knew the purpose of that pulse, as we call it, was to do, so what am I doing today and sharing it? And they weren't doing it. And I went into this stupid mode where I just went, okay, so let's go on to the purpose of the call today and killed, killed the mood, killed the, you know, the, the talk of dogs and everything else. And and I sat there afterwards going, oh, why did you do that? Why? You know, so I'll live with that for the rest of the day. But it, it is that. So even if I practice it, we catch ourselves, it will creep up us and we'll fall into the old thinking sometimes. Yeah. And it's the nature of this is sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. Don't. It's brilliant. Jamie, what's next for you then? What's what's happening with you that we can people can find you uh, on? Uh, what's next? I'm. Um, you can find me at jamiesmart.com or on all the usual social media places. jamiesmart.com is my handle on most of them, not on LinkedIn, but I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got podcasts out if you want to listen to more of uh, my ramblings. I've got four books out, all available on Amazon. Clarity, the little book of clarity, results, and the little book of results. We're doing things to reorganize the business at the moment. So I've got lots on my plate to do with that. Running, you know, coach training programs and uh, doing one-to-one coaching with executives and that sort of thing. So I've got a pretty full plate at the moment, but I feel very grateful to be able to share an understanding that's had such a difference in my life and is making a difference to other people too. So I would just like to say uh, thank you for coming into my life. I uh, thank you for the three-day, which was amazing and had a massive impact on me, but also to share today. What I love is the journey continues for you, continues for me, um, and I wish you luck in your mission because I think it's the most valuable thing out there for people to, to grab hold of. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Colin, and thank you for inviting me, and well done with the book. Thank you. Yeah, it could be, might be wrong, but we don't know. But at least it's called Be More Wrong, so I'm okay with that. I can screw up. (laughs) Jamie Smart, thank you very much. Cheers. Well, folks, that was amazing. Jamie Smart, uh, great conversation. Every time I talk to that man, I get something different uh, out of the conversation. And what I loved today was the flow, the concept of flow. And how when he's with his clients in a coaching scenario, he's in flow. And therefore, it's about him falling out of his thinking, truly listening to the person in front of him and working out how he makes the best of that situation. Teddy Bear, the Colorado River will always stick with me. So grateful to Jamie to be here today. 
Look forward to welcoming you back to listening to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast soon. Mm-hmm.